Okay, it's recording. All right. We're good. We're good. So, I read your question. Thanks so much for participating. Of course. Um, but I wanted to get a little deeper maybe into what you're about and meditation and talking about, you know, we, you've shared with me your journey mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. And, but if you could talk a little bit about that and we start from there. How I found meditation. How you found meditation. Sure. <laughs> well, it really started when I was a little girl because my mom has always, my I wasn't raised religious in any way or with any type of personal practice, mm-hmm. but my mom has always kind of gravitated towards Buddhism and meditation. She just always had a personal interest in it. So when I was a little kid, she would kind of dabble and go through phases of being into meditating, whether it was just sitting for five minutes or something more than that. But I was exposed growing up to her going into the room and sitting quietly. That's all I really knew she was doing, but I was aware of meditation. I never thought that that was going to be something that I wanted to do. It wasn't one of those things with like, I want to do what mom's doing. I was like, that's something my mom does, but I was aware of it very vaguely. And then when I started teaching, um, I've always taught elementary school, which a lot of people think is like a fun, easy job, but you know, you're actually alone with 30 kids for eight hours and (laughs) it's your job to lead them (laughs) and create a calm, functional environment. And for someone like me, who's actually very introverted and has always been very tightly wound and an easy worrier, I would say, Um, For whatever reason, I felt called to go into that field, but it really stressed me out. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, because I'm such a type A person, or I was, I think I'm a recovering type A perfectionist, but I kind of made it a lot of work for myself. I put a lot of pressure on myself to do it perfectly and do everything I could possibly Mm -hmm. do. So I found work to be really stressful and I made my work days really long. So a few years into teaching, I got to the point where I started to feel a little bit of burnout. And so I just kind of had this instinctual inclination one day to just sit quietly before my day started. And it just kind of came out of nowhere because my kids would come into the classroom at 8.15 every morning, but I would get there at like 6.45 because I was crazy and, you know, run around trying to prepare and make everything perfect and make sure I knew exactly what I was teaching. And so by the time the kids came in, I was already like tired (laughs) and the day hadn't even started yet. So I just was feeling mentally overwhelmed. So I started this habit where five minutes before the kids came in, I would stop everything and force myself to just sit at my desk my eyes and then I told myself as soon as the first kid walks in I open my eyes and start the day and the first time I did that I felt so much more peaceful that I was like I'm doing this every day (laughs) so that became a habit and then once I kind of saw the benefits of that even even though they weren't that significant I felt a little shift every morning and so when I moved to New York City I was teaching in New Jersey for a while I moved to New York City and I had the summer off and I was anticipating starting a really stressful job teaching at a charter school in Harlem where the student population is really needy and there was a lot of kind of just a really high demand, high burnout environment. And I was kind of anticipating that and thinking, I want something more legit with meditation. Mm -hmm. I saw how much a little bit every day could do for me. I want a serious practice and I want to do everything I can to prepare myself for this job that I'm really intimidated by. 
So I just kind of Googled around and I found Vedic meditation. Mm -hmm. So I went to an intro talk and heard all about how the technique works and I just knew that this was going to do something cool for me. So I just kind of followed my whim and took a four-day course and have not looked back since. Wow, that's amazing. I love the idea of you know, we talked about this before, how when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm -hmm. So I find I find it so beautiful that you Google something and what came up was Vedic meditation, which is such a self-sufficient practice in my mind as opposed to some of the other techniques out there. But um, yes. tell me a little bit about what made you want, it, want to become a teacher. Like how, mm -hmm. how profound was that experience that led you to then want to share it with everybody else yeah I'm not really one of the teachers you'll hear some teachers say that the moment that they met their teacher the moment they started the practice they knew that they were going to teach it one day and that wasn't my experience I was very private with my practice at first um, I wasn't really comfortable sharing with people that I meditated twice a day because a lot of people or at least I thought a lot of people would find that weird I was kind of self-conscious about it and just went about it quietly but at the same time, I found my teacher, Emily, to be so inspiring. Mm -hmm. And whenever I would go to her studio and hear her speak and sit in on her courses, I just was so in awe of how compelling of a speaker she was and how stable and calm, but also how dynamic and inspiring she was. So I continued to be inspired by her, but didn't really realize until a year or so into my practice that... The reason I was so inspired by her and compelled by her was because I wanted to be like her. I wanted to inspire other people. And I think it was my meditation practice that really empowered me to realize that I could teach this thing. Because one of the things that I, I really believe that meditation kind of balances out whatever is imbalanced in your personal system and your life. So I personally have always really struggled with self-confidence and believing that I can do the things that I admire in other people. And so as I continued to practice meditation, it wasn't like self-confidence was a goal, something that I wanted to work on developing. It was something I always wanted to have, mm -hmm. but I never really thought that it was something that I could cultivate. I just kind of thought I was a shyer, less confident person, and that was my lot in life. But, you know, because the Vedic meditation practice releases so much stress, you naturally move towards a place of more confidence and more clarity and more stability and, and just more comfort putting yourself out there. So it wasn't like I sat down and you know made a life plan and plotted out my goals and decided I wanted to teach. It was just kind of uh, uh, an inclination that built and built as I continued to meditate. It just I just kind of got these little little impulses and desires and just started to think about it every time I went to go see my teacher mm -hmm. and before I knew it I was just fully convinced that I could do it and that I wanted to do it mm -hmm. um, so I started training about two years into my practice and it took me about a year to get ready to teach myself so it's been a beautiful process that you know it's just I feel that the growth from meditation is like an exponential unfolding so you know it starts out slow and then it's almost like a, a domino effect where you just start to notice more and more growth and it amplifies and amplifies mm -hmm. and then you find yourself doing things that you never thought you were capable of doing and that you never planned to do 
I mean, looking at you and talking to you, I would never think you're self-confident. Because <laughs> well, you're, you're very confident and, and you're el- very eloquent. Thank you. And I feel like you have this kindness when you speak. Mm. Um, but listening to your story, it, it's almost a combination of dealing with children and having that softness and that assertiveness, mm-hmm. but also being very open and very knowledgeable. I've, I mean, I've seen you speak now a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I it's it's easy to understand you when I feel like sometimes people can go in all these different directions but it's just like and there it is well I think teaching kindergarten is really helpful to prepare you to teach adults you know everyone wants it broken down simply for them and it's so funny when I look back at at my path because teaching as an introvert as someone who was always really shy as a kid teaching in a classroom never really made sense for me it was just something that I fell into doing and I just got the idea that I wanted to do it even though it didn't really make logical sense and now looking back I can Mm -hmm. see that learning how to teach kids and really engage them and break things down in a very structured understandable way Mm -hmm. is exactly what prepared me to teach meditation really effectively so it all kind of happened for its own reasons that's amazing is is that that old you know idea of everything makes everything happens for a reason yeah it may not make sense at all in the moment or you may be you may feel like you're living a life that is not the one you want but all that experience will someday come in it will click into place like totally. oh that's what those last 10 years were for it's yeah. actually for for this kind of thing yeah um what our teacher tom likes to say is everything happens for all reasons Love that. No regret. I love Tom. <laughs> All reasons. I'm gonna write that down. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what Vedic meditation is. So for people who don't know about Vedic meditation or people who don't know about meditation in general, um, the first really important thing to know is that there are actually two very different types of meditation. Some people say that there are three types, but I kind of like to simplify it and break it down into two types. The word meditation is really about as specific as the word sports. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many different kinds with so many different um, experiences and intended benefits. So just to say that you meditate could really mean so many different things um, and look so many different ways. So it's important to know, first of all, that there are really two different types of meditating. There are um, more concentrative techniques. So if you've done any sort of mindfulness or a guided meditation or listening to a recording um, or used an app, those are all concentrative-based techniques because they keep your mind very active on the surface because you have some point of focus that you keep coming back to. Um, And your body is also very active with concentrative techniques because you're often sitting up very straight with the back erect. You might even have your hands in some sort of a mudra or a special position. So the mind and the body tend to stay very active with concentrative techniques. And that seems to be what's most popular right now with the whole mindfulness um, movement coming into mainstream wellness. And what most people don't know is that there's also a totally different type of technique called an automatic self-transcending technique. And that's what I found works really well for me. Um, Although focus-based techniques have certain intended benefits that are absolutely attainable if you do the practice every day, um, the key with meditation and any other personal practice, I think, is consistency. 
if you want to see results, you have to do it frequently and regularly. It's just like with working out. You know, I actually don't work out at all and I would like to get into working out. <laughs> um, most of my life, you know, recently with teacher training has been more meditation focused and when you meditate a lot, it's not necessarily conducive to high intensity exercise. Um, but, you know, if you want to see physical results from working out, you can't just work out like twice a month. You know, you have to do it every day, otherwise you're not going to see results. And it's the same thing with meditation. So it's really important to find a practice that you actually enjoy and it's going to be easy for you to do every day. And for me, a focus-based concentrative technique has never worked because I'm someone who works pretty hard during the day and already does a lot of focusing. So when it's time to sit down and meditate, the idea of sitting up straight and focusing some more just isn't that appealing. It just doesn't really, it sounds like too much work for me. You know, I already work really hard during the day. Um, so I really loved that automatic self-transcending techniques, although that's quite a mouthful to say, <laughs> the technique itself is so simple. You sit in a chair very comfortably with the back supported. Doesn't matter what your hands or your legs are doing. They can be positioned however you want. And what you really do is you do nothing. You sit very effortlessly um, and use a technique involving a mantra that's used silently in the mind that does all the work for you. And what the mantra does is it takes the mind inward into those subtler, quieter states as long as you use it very effortlessly um, and you're trained to do that by a qualified teacher. And when you use the mantra correctly, the mind settles down and the body follows because the mind and body are linked. So anything that's happening in the mind has a corresponding effect in the body and vice versa. So when we use the mantras in Vedic meditation to naturally settle the mind down, the body follows. Mind de-excites, the body de-excites, and we experience this very deep level of rest that's actually deeper than sleep. And when we rest that deeply, we're able to release stress and tension and fatigue that have been accumulating in the nervous system for however many decades we've been alive. So when I say that we release stress when we practice Vedic meditation, I don't just mean that we're hitting the pause button or we're temporarily feeling better, we're actually dissolving and unwinding the stresses that have been preventing us from functioning at our fullest potential up until we learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, to me, it's an amazing technique. I was doing mindfulness mm-hmm. before. I w- I'm one of those people that I could not sit down for a minute, mm-hmm. ever. I didn't feel like I could and I did not want to. Um, you had the monkey mind going I the had the whole, yeah, in, in the, my body, I just couldn't, you know, and I always had something to do. Mm-hmm. You know? But then when I, I, I decided I needed to do something for my mind, I was trying the mindfulness uh, with a, a wonderful app, and it was a guided meditation, but one day I was like, I don't want to hear this guy's voice anymore, but mm-hmm. what am I going to do? Yeah. Or if I don't have my headphones and I can't meditate, or et cetera, et cetera, and kind of like you it it just popped up I didn't google it but I don't know how it's just started coming up this Vedic meditation mm-hmm. and um it's I mean I've been doing it now six months and it's amazing how much of a shift that can do you know yeah, uh, I've been pretty consistent mm-hmm. I, I committed to it it's not difficult you just have to it's like it's like our 
we keep saying our lovely teacher Tom said you just have to get to the chair which yeah. sometimes is the most difficult part but I love the idea of having the mantra because it's almost like a little secret yeah um, and you want to say a little bit of, of how you get a mantra like what what is that sure yeah so I mentioned that the mantra kind of does the work for us because um, you know the mind works in a very specific way it is impossible to quiet the mind with will or force. You cannot tell the mind to be quiet or try to quiet the mind. You can't do it using effort. Um, so with Vedic meditation, we use a mantra that exploits the nature of the mind, which is to move in the direction of greater happiness and greater fascination. And so the mantras that we use in Vedic meditation are actually sounds. Um, you may have heard the word mantra to mean something more like a slogan, like, I am strong, I am powerful, or you may have heard, you know, that people use mantras to chant or sing in yoga or meditation, but the mantras that we use in Vedic meditation are used silently in the mind, and what's most important about them is that they're meaningless sounds, um, because if they had meaning, the mind would stay active on the surface thinking about that meaning. So if I told you that your mantra was carrot, and I said you should close your eyes and meditate with the word carrot, what would happen? You would think about carrots and mm -hmm. Bugs Bunny and carrot cake <laughs> and, and anything carrot related, and the mind would stay active. It wouldn't be able to settle down. So that's why it's so important that we use mantras that are pure sounds, and they have no intended meaning, so the mind doesn't stay focused on them. And what happens when we think these mantras, because they're designed to be very resonant sounds for the mind, and each individual is assigned a mantra based on their physiology and their stage of life, they're assigned a sound that's going to resonate very well with their system, the same way that some really fascinating or resonant music resonates with your system. Um, and so the mantras very naturally settle the body and the mind down. The mind spontaneously wants to follow the mantra inward. The mantra, when you think it effortlessly in meditation, it gets fainter and quieter and subtler and softer. And as it begins to fade, the mind follows it inward to these quieter states of awareness. Um, and before you know it, the mantra gets so faint and quiet that it slips away completely. And we have this experience of no mantra, and there's also no thought replacing it. And it's basically like diving down to the bottom of the ocean and experiencing that very quiet, unbounded state. I love that. And I, I actually love that word, unbounded. Mm -hmm. I am unboundedness. Yeah, it's the universal self that we connect with when we meditate. A lot of people don't know that um, Vedic meditation is actually a form of yoga. Mm -hmm. So the word yoga, it's come to be associated with a physical, you know, asana practice, but the word yoga really means um, union or joining. So if you think of the word yoke, when you yoke cattle to a wagon or something, you're joining or connecting the cattle to the wagon, you're hooking it up to the wagon. Um, so yoga really means union. And union between what? Union between your individual self and your universal self, that unbounded self, the pure being that we all have the capacity to experience. 
And so yoga is really any practice that allows you to experience that universal self. So with asana practice, you know, you do a bunch of poses and then you lay down in Shavasana and you might have a moment of that transcendence, no thought, just pure wakefulness, pure being, that universality, that unboundedness. And with Vedic meditation, we're able to access that by sitting comfortably in a chair using a technique. So there's lots of ways to attain yoga and it can have that experience. Um, and I just happen to prefer Vedic meditation because it doesn't require any effort. Mm-hmm. It's so simple and mm-hmm. so powerful. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a life changer for sure. It's, it is easy. Mm-hmm. It's simple. It's self-supported. And you do see a progression when you're doing it. It's, it's not a static practice. It's oh, something no. where you keep growing and opening up. And um, I like the idea also that you don't have to try and keep your mind quiet, which you mentioned, which yeah. a lot of times is like, don't think, don't think, don't think, you know, in other types of meditation. Mm-hmm. I've actually had amazing creative downloads during yeah. meditation. And I, in the beginning, I was like, am I supposed to not be thinking? But you guys have you know, confirmed that that is okay. <laughs> because you do sometimes, I guess it's the body telling you, your mind releasing some information mm-hmm. and you just, you know, it's, it's pretty... No, thoughts are a very necessary part of meditation, actually. They're a part of the process of stress release because when the body and the nervous system are releasing those stresses that have been kind of built up and stuck there for however many years, the body gets a little bit active as the stresses are coming out. And because body and mind are linked, any activity in the body is going to trigger some activity in the mind. So when we have thoughts in meditation, it actually means that some stress is leaving the body. And so it's actually a really important part of the process. Mm-hmm. And when we practice Vedic meditation, because the mind is settled down and it's so de-excited, um, we're in a state where we don't really care that we're having thoughts mm-hmm. and we feel pretty neutral about our thoughts. It's really similar to when you're on the massage table and if the person massaging you is really good at their job, they really open the body up and allow it to relax and get heavy and then the mind starts to settle down and we're in this kind of like blissful, delicious state where we're just kind of having dreamlike thoughts and Mm -hmm. there's a space between the thoughts and we don't really mind that we're thinking because we're resting so deeply. That's really what it feels like to have thoughts when we're meditating in this way. I like that you were used the word delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does feel delicious. It does feel delicious. Yeah. It does. It, it feels like you're indulging in this very personal moment with yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it was definitely a moment that shifted my whole self-care yeah. and the definition of self-care, which I want to get into a little bit with you right now because to me is part of my self-care mm-hmm. it I am taking optimal care of myself when I meditate and yeah. it's the first thing I do in the morning mm-hmm. sometimes I get up really early to do it sometimes I don't get the time to do it at that point but I make sure I fit it in the day I get to my chair twice a day um and it's 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 this is what kicks off self-care for me in my day so I wanted to hear a little bit about what what your definition of self-care is and what your non-negotiables and routines are involving meditation. Sure, sure. Well, I really feel like, you know, it's it's worth mentioning that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are householders and there are monks. 
and anyone that you would come across in the city in your daily life or anyone listening to this is basically a householder which means that you want to live in society and participate in it you want to meet demands and reap the rewards and you want to have relationships and friends and you want to engage in a community um, so anyone listening to this is a householder whereas monks don't want any of that they are the happiest and most fulfilled when they're in solitude whether that's in a cave or living in an ashram or on, in a monastery somewhere um, they don't want to participate in society in the way that we do we they we thrive with human connection and shared experiences right and so as householders we really are meant to be interacting with others connecting with others and serving others right making an impact a positive impact on our society so to me self-care is really anything that elevates you to the point where you're able to be your best self for others right and and really contribute to the collective so self-care although it feels wonderful and it it allows you to have a better experience of life personally it also radiates out to everyone else that you come into contact with so self-care is really not a selfish thing mm -hmm. um, it really benefits everyone not just you especially you know if you're a parent like you are so for me, you know, I over the years have gotten more and more unapologetic about my self-care because it really puts me in this place of alignment where I'm ready to take action and be as impactful as possible and really get more done in less time. So taking the time to meditate, taking the time to do what you need to do to feel aligned and you know, ready to do whatever it is that you want to do that day is actually going to allow you to be more efficient and effective with whatever action that you want to take. Mm -hmm. um, and meditating, you know, it isn't about meditating. Meditating is about allowing us to take more action when we're done meditating. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that when you take on a meditative meditation practice, your life becomes all about stillness and calm and quiet. It actually allows you to be more active and more dynamic when your eyes are open. Um, so me, for me, self-care starts with meditation every morning, but it's also become about movement because I find that, you know, if I'm inactive physically, although that's always what I tend to want because I've never been someone whose body craves really intense physical activity, mm -hmm. I know from experience that if I'm not moving in some way and like opening up my tight body, I tend to be very tight. Um, then I just don't feel as good. So I've recently started doing more yoga. Um, I like to use yogaglow.com because they have really short, like 15 to 20 minute things. And I find that even just that much stretching and, and physical movement is enough to like open me up to feel a, a significant shift. So I try to do a little bit of yoga every day along with the meditation. Um, Self-care for me is also about using really great stuff on my body. Um, I've recently invested in nicer skincare, which I always used to feel guilty doing, but not only does it make the whole act of like washing my face and getting ready for the day or winding down at night feel so much better. Like I don't even feel like I need to go to a spa or get facials or anything anymore because I've actually invested in great products that make a difference and just feel so wonderful and luxurious to use. 
Um, but it just it just kind of up levels everything because it makes me feel like I'm worth it and mm-hmm. and I am you know deserving of the best and and that's really what I remind myself whenever I remember to um, my teacher's teacher's teacher. Um, Swami Brahmananda Sarasvati, also known as Guru Dev, he was really famous for saying, you deserve the best. Um, never feel unworthy in claiming the best for yourself. You know, you have to expect it and you have to claim it. And that's really what I've been um, working to embody lately with what I'm consuming, what I'm choosing to do with my time. Um, and it makes such a difference. It kind of, it becomes this this self-fulfilling prophecy where as soon as you're making choices thinking of yourself as deserving the best mm-hmm. then it kind of brings more abundance to you and it's like this constant up leveling that mm-hmm. is really awesome to experience yeah that's beautiful I mean yes I, you said so many good things in this whole um, the, these past few minutes uh, the, the idea of you deserve the best mm-hmm. and not feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about that, how women, we have this guilt that follows us through life. And as a parent, it actually gets worse. <laughs> Somebody told me when I was having my first child, the one feeling you will have permanently from now on will be guilt. Mm-hmm. You will be guilty of not doing enough, of doing too much, of the, the time, the everything. Mm-hmm. But women, we it, it's a recurring theme. We feel guilty even about taking care of ourselves. But you brought up the beautiful point of if we are our best selves, then everybody benefits. Yeah. If you're a run-down, tired, disconnected human, and that goes for men as well, but particularly women because we are the, the caretakers mm-hmm. usually, nobody's getting the best of you, including yourself. That's right. Um, but it's... it's I, I like also that you brought in the topic to include meditation, movement, and products because yeah. it's it, it could it, it whatever the be- the best means to you, that's what you should go for. But it's not only I think you know sometimes we think of self care as something like a massage mm-hmm. or getting your nails done or those are all things that really make you feel better. Yeah. But what are things that you can do every day, tiny bits? that are personal to you that don't require even any money right you know meditation doesn't after you take a class you don't need to pay yes. for anything unless you do a retreat or something like that yes. um moving in your house yoga glow it is wonderful there are so many different websites and apps now mm-hmm. um and when you invest in your in your beauty care if you break it down as cost per use you would realize you're spending less than buying a coffee right. on it every day. Um, and to me, I like the idea of, which you also brought up, is something to look forward to. Yeah. So in the morning, if you have some really yummy cream or some you know, delicious oil that you just bought, you want to take a shower because you want to put the stuff on. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a motivator to start your day a little earlier, to have this space to indulge in this little ritual, yeah. and then start from there. You know, it's not it's not that big of a of an undertaking to start a self care routine. Oh no, and 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 as far as you know, spending more money on nicer products, you know, 
I certainly am on a budget and it's not that everything that I consume in my life is top of the line and I'm blowing all my money on stuff because I, I physically can't. But I do feel that if you invest in certain things that really bring you pleasure, mm -hmm. you know, especially for me with the skincare, it's like every time I use it twice a day, I am reminding myself that I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. And over time, that actually changes your self-concept in a really powerful way. Um, and then even too on just like a purely um, health-related level, just putting stuff on your skin because your skin absorbs everything it comes into contact with, you know, knowing that you're only putting pure botanicals on your skin with no chemicals, no fillers, nothing toxic, you know, that also just makes a big difference in how you feel over time. A lot of people who use, um, you know, more conventional beauty stuff might be struggling with headaches or migraines or some other chronic physical thing that they may have no idea that it's because they're of the chemicals that are coming into contact with their skin every day. Mm -hmm. So it also just feels really good to know that the stuff you're putting on and in your body, and I'm not a perfect eater by any means, but just with the skincare alone, it feels really good to know that it's only helping me. It's mm -hmm. not hurting my system in any way. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I think that's all the questions I have for you today, but if, if one were to want to learn to meditate, mm. what would be the best way to reach you? Oh, good question. Well, you wouldn't even have to necessarily learn from me, depending on where you are, um, and you know, who you resonate with, because everybody resonates with different teachers. It's worth finding someone that you really feel compelled to learn from. Um, but I can be found at ArdenMeditation.com and on Instagram at ArdenMartin. And, you know, the best way to go about starting a journey with Vedic meditation is to check out any teacher's intro talk. Before teachers um, offer a course, they always offer a free talk where people can come and meet them and learn more about the technique and how it works, how it feels to practice it how it compares to other forms of meditation, and really just make sure that it's something that you resonate with. Because the learning process is pretty comprehensive. It takes place over four consecutive days um, because the goal, like you mentioned, is self-sufficiency and really getting you independent and being able to do this and take it wherever you go um, without needing anything but yourself and your own mind. Um, so over the course of the four days, you get enough direct experience and refinement over four days from the teacher and theoretical understanding through discussing the technique with the teacher and listening to some lecture that you know exactly how it works, you know exactly why it works, and you have no doubts about whether or not you know how to do it. Um, so the learning process is pretty comprehensive, which is why it's always good to go to a talk first and kind of meet the teacher and make sure that you're ready. Um, but once you once you invest the time and resources and actually learning, it's it's absolutely worth it. Um, I'm sure you would agree. Yes, I highly agree. And um, in closing, I wanted to bring up something else you said that when you meditate, when you take on a meditation practice, and this is something I always tell my friends, you don't do it to get better at meditation. You do it to get better at life. Yes. So it's a tool to get you to be great. In, the, in between the meditation, you don't have to sit and meditate 
all day long. Yeah, I think so many people find, you know, there's a stereotype that meditation involves a certain kind of lifestyle where you wear flowy clothes all the time and you don't eat any meat and, you know, you're just kind of like blissed out and happy all the time. And, you know, taking on meditation and, and making it a part of your daily life does not involve any other lifestyle changes other than sitting quietly every day. And it actually enhances whatever you do have going on in your life, you know? So if you're a householder and you do a lot of stuff and you have relationships and kids and a job, it just makes you better at all of those things. Um, so it's not about changing your life to be more meditation-y. Mm -hmm. It's about using meditation <laughs> to make whatever you have going on in your life able to be enjoyed um, to the fullest. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love it so much. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, if I do put this in a podcast or if anybody's hearing my voice, thank you very much. Um, if you want to go check out Arden or any other Vedic meditation teachers, as she explained, during the course, there's a lot more information, science, scientific facts, yeah. physics. There's so much to back this up that I <clears throat> would encourage, hopefully, the whole world <laughs> to <laughs> to take on Vedic meditation. Yeah. But thank you so much, Arden. Of course. Jay Guru Dave. Jay Guru Dave. And, and I, I should you. mention too that if anybody you know wants to learn and you're not near New York City, you can always contact me and I'll put you in touch with a teacher that's near you. So, okay. thank you for having me on, Paula. I love you, too. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> this was so fun. I know. Bye. Bye.